Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Welcome back to this side of the Atlantic after your your journeys, your adventures over the other side. How are you feeling this afternoon? I know uh, travel can be fatiguing, bit of jet lag. I always feel wrecked when I come that way, when I come back from the States to Ireland. I always feel much worse than when I go the other way. So how are you feeling right now? Yeah, especially overnight. Like, uh, mm. I, I was sort of on Florida time pretty successfully by the time I left. So for me, it's kind of like 11 a.m., but I've had about two hours sleep on a plane. Oh, so no. I feel slightly hysterical. I, I'm a little bit worried about what I might say on this podcast, but hopefully I'll manage to keep it together. Fingers crossed. And, and you know, I hope you're not getting any of that weird thing where people's voices start to, start echo, to echo and you're all in your head and you don't know head, what's head, happening head. and... Oh, that's no, terrifying. No, that no, no, man. <laughs> that that was really scary. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. There's been a bit of that. A bit of that. Uh, I do understand. I do understand. Anyway, look, we'll take it easy with you. We'll take it easy with you. Um, and also, free drinks yeah. on the plane, Andrew. As well, Ooh, free drinks. Free drinks on the plane. That's a thing. I know. British Airways. They brought me a gin and tonic at the start, and then they brought me a gin and tonic with my dinner. And then I said, can I buy another gin and tonic? And they said, no, it's free. And they brought me two free ones. So. Wow. That's yeah. not bad. It's not bad. That's not bad. Helped, or- helped knock me out for a couple of hours, despite, you know, the, all the screaming children on their way home from Disney and stuff like that. Oh, no. They, they allowed screaming children into business class? <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. No, I was. Do you know what? I did get lucky, though. I was. Um, I was pure economy, uh, but on both the way out and the way back, I got the seat by the fire escape with oh, all the leg room. That's not bad at all. For free, I, yeah. I remember oh, a few years ago flying to, I think I was flying to New York. Could have been going over that for the weekend where we did the the live podcast there and a man sat beside me and he said to me, I'm very pissed. And I said, I can, I can see that. And he said, I apologize for being pissed, but don't worry about it. You know, I'm fine. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do drink all over me, Um, which is like, oh, Jesus Christ. But then the, the flight was relatively uh, not empty, but you know, there are a few spare seats. So I got like a, a two, a two seater thing to myself the whole way over, which wasn't bad at all. So, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I saw that, um. Troops was in premium economy, so that made me feel pretty bad. 
uh, and Matt Law of The Telegraph was in premium economy as well. Right. So I'll be having words with The Athletic. Don't you worry about that. I think so. Between some of the hotels they put you in and now this, the four gin and tonics don't <laughs> They're lucky that it. I'm still working for them, to be honest. <laughs> the way they've treated me on this tour. Yeah. Well, look, uh, go on. Flying me halfway around the world at their expense. <laughs> the bastards. Um <laughs> no, yeah, it's good to be home. It's good to be home. But yeah, I, I was sad to leave as well. I had a great time. I mean, it's been it's been brilliant. It does sound like you are look like, you know, uh, judging from your Instagram and everything else, that you did have a, a jolly good time meeting all the fans out there. And before we get into some of the nuts and bolts, the specifics of what's happened over the last week, because um, I'm going to need you to do that again, because I've spent the last week in a kind of, um, you know, post-COVID fog having come back mm. from spain last week with covid unfortunately and just like my brain uh, hasn't really been working the way it should be working but nevertheless um the social element of this tour the sort of fun and games if you want to call it that like everyone being there everyone being together and the events and all those kinds of things look to have been fantastic fun yeah, so last time I spoke to you, I'd been in Baltimore and I was thoroughly impressed with, you know, how many Arsenal fans mm. turned out there. Uh, and Orlando, it was the same again. It kind of built over the course of the week. You know, on Wednesday, Arsenal played Orlando City. Um, yeah. And that was, uh, they won 3-1, didn't they? Um, and it was in a smaller stadium. It's at the City Orlando City playing week in, week out. Uh, they actually sandwiched that game between two quite big MLS games for them. And uh, they, I was quite surprised. They played pretty much their full-strength team against Arsenal. A lot of people thought they'd rest players. So people mm. like Alexandra Pato were playing for Orlando City. Um, surprising to see he's still yeah. alive, given the amount of injuries he suffered in his career. And then, but there was a good atmosphere there, you know, and um, everyone gathered at an Irish pub. I think it's called the Harp and Kelt. And march down to the ground. The Harp um, and Kelt. Yeah, it's Kelt and Harp or Harp and Kelt. Forgive me, guys. I love it. It's like, you know, the leprechaun and the donkey or whatever. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Just two Irish things yeah, thrown together. Exactly. Um, and But as it got close to the weekend and the Arsenal-Chelsea game, the atmosphere uh, and the sort of crowds in the city began to ramp up substantially, partly because that game was obviously on a Saturday. So I think more people could kind of travel sure. in for it, partly because Chelsea brought a lot of fans as well, have to say. Um, it wasn't quite like the Arsenal-Everton game where, you know, Arsenal would, were really the dominant force. I thought it was a pretty even split in terms of supporters outside the ground and, and in the ground itself. Yeah, the glory hunters, lots of glory hunting. Chelsea yeah, I mean, where were those guys when, you know, Jakob Kilberg and Dimitri Kareen were playing in the exactly. mid-90s? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it was great. And we had some live events on Thursday. Uh, Mike from the Gooners pod did a kind of live podcast uh, which in a pub which i think people were you know at least half listening to but mainly just getting really pissed and then we joined <laughs> in with that which was fun um and yeah i mean i think people were out every night i couldn't hack it in the end i sort of i went pretty big on that thursday night and then thursday to sunday i was just sort of desperately trying to get work done and and still recovering the the, the morning after 
I went out with Mike and all the Arsenal fan crew on Thursday night, which was a very late one. I had to turn up the next day uh, at Universal Studios to stand in the baking heat while Mikel Arteta and Martin Odegaard fulfilled some media duties. And honestly, I was sweating pure alcohol. It was... uh, (laughs) It, it was a dark time, but we got through it. And uh, yeah, it was great. The fans were amazing. On on Saturday itself, where we had the big game, mm. there was an Arsenal pub that was absolutely jam-packed pre-match. I mean, you couldn't move for Arsenal fans. Another Irish pub, was it? The, streets. was it? The, the Spud and Redhead? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. And then, uh, and then the Tato and Shillelagh, I think it was called. And then they, <laughs> uh, then outside the ground, there's like this field, um, and they had like, it was basically a festival essentially, where half of it was Chelsea and half of it was Arsenal, and there were DJs and stages and food stalls, and you could queue up as an Arsenal fan to have a picture with the gold trophy and all kinds of stuff. Cool. Um, and then the game itself, which was thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of it you saw, but any any game of any level of competitiveness that ends Arsenal 4, Chelsea 0 uh, is something to relish. Yeah, for sure. Not only have Arsenal won, but Chelsea have lost. You know, mm-hmm. the two things are... Are, are you know equally enjoyable? I didn't see the game live because I just physically could not stay up that late because uh, of how tired I'd been um, with the with the COVID thing. But I did watch the highlights. I got up on Sunday morning, um, you know, to come up and do the blog, and and as you do, you just sort of look around the highlights and go four four nil. Mm-hmm. That's that's nice, and of course. The it's only preseason caveat has to apply, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you would much rather go and beat them 4-0 and come home and take the positives from it than, you know, as we were talking about, was it last week, the week before, where the first preseason game was it was it against FC Nuremberg and we were 2-0 down at halftime and we were joking about how, you know, how the reaction online was quite negative to the fact that we were losing 2-0 at halftime to FC Nuremberg. You know, if you go away on a tour, even with the it's only preseason thing, and you lose to Chelsea, people are going to get introspective, aren't they? So I think you need to, you know, obviously look at it for what it is. But at the same time, you can you can see that there are positives to take from it. So, you know, having not witnessed or seen the 90 minutes beyond what I could see being a Chelsea side that looked a long way from, uh, what's the word, interested or, or good enough, was there one takeaway from the Arsenal performance uh, that you were able to sort of glean from being in the ground that you would say, okay, that's that's the one thing I'm going to take away from this? Well, just to sort of, first of all, continue on your theme of, you know, the importance of friendlies or or otherwise, it was interesting. Arsenal completely dominated Chelsea, wiped the floor with them, really. And then Mikel Arteta strolls into the press conference and sort of shrugs and says, you know, it's it's just a friendly. Whereas Thomas Tuchel came in and was pretty furious, pretty apoplectic Mm. with the performance of his players, the commitment of his players. And I think also the lack of support he feels he's had in the transfer market. Um, You know, I don't think he's happy at all with the the business they haven't got done as yet. So 
It was interesting to see the contrast between the two managers. And I guess it's sort of the luxury of performing and winning to be able to say, well, you know, uh, we'll hold our horses. We'll see what happens when the season proper starts. I think fitness looked like a big part of it. I mean, in, in the games against Everton and Chelsea, I thought Arsenal looked better physically prepared, but I also thought they looked better drilled, better tactically prepared. And mm. it, in the first half, particularly against Chelsea, Arsenal were really, really exciting to watch. It was a very, very strong eleven. You know, if we go through it, it was Ramsdale in goal, a back four of uh, White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko, who came straight in after one training session. Mm. Then we had... Um, I think two training sessions, actually, because I think they had snuck in a, a session on the Saturday morning before the game as well. Then in midfield, Thomas Partey, Granit Xhaka, Martin Odegaard, and up top, Bukai Saka on the right, Gabriel Martelli on the left, Gabriel Jesus up front. That's a really strong 11. Sure I mean, yeah. I, I think there's a, a, a more than decent chance that could be the starting 11 on the opening day against Crystal Palace because, mm. you know, who knows where Tommy Asu and Tierney will be. At that point, uh, Tommy Asu is supposed to come back to training next week. But So Arsenal played pretty much the strongest team they could um, and it showed. Chelsea, their team did not look as strong. A few players who I, I doubt will be in their starting eleven come the start of the season, especially if they do a few more signings. But Arsenal were hungrier, sharper. Um, there were some individual performances to talk about. You have to talk about Gabriel Jesus again, who scored yeah. another beautiful goal. What Did you a see finish. that one? Yeah, what a finish. I love I love that goal, actually. And uh, maybe he, he's somebody that will come up in conversation. Um, you know, Granit Xhaka starting a move at the back and then ending up playing a very nice first-time pass much, much higher up the pitch. Um, which I thought was quite interesting. I mean, you could see it obviously much better than I could from the from the TV footage. But that that ability for for Xhaka to be um, if influential is the wrong word, but involved at the back and then involved higher up the pitch, mm-hmm. uh, I thought was very interesting. A great finish from Gabriel Jesus, and I know it's not a unique ob- observation, but it really does feel like preseason has completely and utterly integrated him into this team in a really quick and efficient way. You know, has he scored in pretty much every game? More or less. I think there was one game he didn't score in. He got the assist for Eddie um, against Orlando, I think. But right. he's got four in four, you know, because he got a couple in the in the game in Germany. Mm. So it has been a really seamless transition. He looks really at home. And more than that, it looks like his confidence is flourishing. I mean, the way he just impudently lifted that ball over uh, Edouard Mendy in, in the Chelsea goal. Yeah. That was the sign of a guy who's really feeling it right now. I think he's enjoying scoring goals. I think he's enjoying playing in front of these Arsenal fans, wearing that number nine shirt. Um, it's been a bit of a dream for him so far. I mean, at, at full time in this one, he went, He was taken over, presented with man of the match by Rivaldo. Uh, right. You know, things keep happening for him right now and he must be enjoying life at Arsenal. So he was great to watch and he was everywhere. You know, he was dropping deep into midfield. Sometimes he was on the halfway line trying to offer an outlet for the centre-halves or for Ramsdale. He showed an ability to uh, turn on the ball, get away from people. He dropped into the right channel, played outside Bukai Saka at, at certain points. He could dribble, he can sprint. He can finish. 
listen, I, I, <laughs> I've loved watching him out there. Yeah. And it's exciting. We will we'll talk um, more, obviously, on the, the Edu situation, the Edu conversation. But I really liked this bit where uh, he was talking about Gabriel Jesus. Um, he said, uh, Gabriel, I'm here to try to sign you, but not the Gabriel from this season. I want the Gabriel from the other seasons because this season you've not played the way I know you. You've lost your shine. When I see you this season, I'm not seeing you as before because I know you very well. I want the Gabriel from last season. Um, and that sort of ties into what we've spoken about before, doesn't it? That the the idea of giving this guy responsibility, giving him... <sighs> not quite a platform, but but sort of, and again, I don't mean to say that he's going to be the figurehead of the team, but like he's a hugely, hugely important signing for this team, for this club, for this manager, for this technical director. I mean, this was the one above all others that they absolutely had to get right. You know, after what happened with Aubameyang, what happened with Lacazette, you know, the importance of a centre forward in general, you know, Arsenal's need for a striker and a goal scorer and everything else. And for it to start as well as it has, you know, it all seems to be part of the strategy, part of the plan, part of like the ideal way that they could see this play out. Yeah, and let's not forget, they kind of forewent signing a striker in January too. So that mm. loaded extra pressure onto this particular acquisition. Um, but so far, so, so, so good. I mean, he has been excellent in pre-season. And of course, there's the caveat of it is pre-season. It is not as competitive as the Premier League. But it's encouraging, at least, that he's performing like this against Premier League opponents. You know, mm. you know these aren't... Uh, it's not like we just found a team in the Austrian Alps somewhere and, you know, picked someone out of the fourth division. These are top players, whatever stage of their preparation they're sure. at, and he certainly is shining against them. So I I think, yeah, whatever they tried to tap into, whatever Edu was trying to, you know, tap into in, in Jesus' consciousness, he seems to have awoken something. Mm. And the standards that he's brought with him have made a big impression on everybody on the tour. Um, I, I wrote about this the other day, but, you know, he is a, a competitor and a winner. And it's something that several people on tour said to me was evident as soon as he started training with the team, you know, the level of professionalism, the level of commitment that comes from being part of such a successful winning culture. And he's transmitting that to use Mikel Arteta's word now, yeah. to the rest of the group. The, I mean, the arrival of Alexander Zinchenko as well. Um, you know, another guy who's got all these medals, who knows what it's like to play for a manager who is demanding, who is a stickler for the game plan, for his instructions to be carried out the way he wants them to be carried out on the pitch. You know, I, I feel like there's an influence that these players will bring to the team if you're talking about raising the standards raising the level it's not just about what two guys can bring to the team themselves it's what they can to use an arteta-ism if you like is what they can then transmit to other players you know as yeah. other players see them behave this way train this way he's the first in for training etc etc all that kind of stuff how that then might influence positively other players in the squad i think is a really interesting aspect to these two signings and that was something people said about Zinchenko at City all the time, you know, that he was 
the first out and on the training field, the last to come in after practicing, you know, set pieces or shooting or whatever it might be. Um, let alone the compliments that existed around his technical level. I yeah. mean, there were people at City who thought he was, you know, one of the, one of the most gifted naturally players in that squad. Um, and yeah, they bring that mentality with them. And I think, I think that's a really important thing because we talk a lot about the youth that we have in the squad. And, and one of the consequences of that, or one of the things that comes with that is that, you know, a lot of these players haven't been at the very top level. Yeah. They don't necessarily know what it takes to, you know, not just be in the race, but finish the race and get over the line and lift the trophy. There's a lot of guys in our group who mm. haven't necessarily done that. So even though Jesus and Sinchenko, they're only what, 25 odd, something like that. The experience that they have of that with Manchester City, I think, I think could be really, really valuable. Yeah. And another thing about Zinchenko, I mean, from the minute he came over, I think he was in Houston with City and he, he flew into Orlando. He, he was desperate to try and play some part in this game. And the registration went through in time so that he could train on the Friday, train again on the Saturday. And he played 45 minutes on Saturday night. I thought, you know, people thought, oh, maybe yeah. he'll get a couple of minutes but he played in the first half. He played pretty well. He showed what he can do from left back. I thought there were some good touches. There was a nice clip, I'm sure. It's done the rounds on social media of him absolutely bamboozling someone on the on the left wing and instigating a little passing move. So I was really encouraged by that. And that was another respect in which the tour just felt like a big success for Arsenal. You know, they, yeah. they played three games. They won them all. They scored a bunch of goals. Um, they made a signing. They launched a kit. They had some great fan events. It went about as well yeah. for the club as they could have hoped. Yeah, I did enjoy the Zinchenko stuff and the arrival and the way he was welcomed into the group by the players and and all mm. that kind of stuff. And his interview, I thought, was was really good too. Like, you know, a footballer gets interviewed, they come to a new club and you know they're going to talk about, you know, I want to do my best here, blah, blah, blah. You know, even the old, I was an Arsenal fan when I was a kid. Uh, even if that's true, you know, you hear players say things like that. But I really like the way he just said, look, I'm not here to waste my time. I'm not here to waste Arsenal's time. You know, this is a this is a serious job. Uh, and I really thought that interview was, was very, very good. And you can see why he's a player that Mikel Arteta will be delighted to bring in because, you know, he does need that influence. He does need to bring some of these young guys a little bit further on in their careers and their development. And, and having players who who know what pressure is, who can deal with pressure and deal with like, you know, Premier League title winning pressure. I think it's huge, you know, particularly for the likes of Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli, you know, Martin Odegaard, even to an extent, you know, the the progression that they could make alongside players like this is is really exciting. Um, yeah, I, I, I hate to uh, quote my sort of own work, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I, I asked Arteta about, how Jesus has changed since he worked with him. Because bear in mind, he came over mm. from Brazil at, uh, I think he was 19. And obviously it's been a few years. I think he was only you know, a year or two older than that when Arteta left City and came to Arsenal. And he said um, he's matured a lot. Obviously a lot has changed in his life. He's been a father and now he's engaged. But also four or five years of experience at the level to play in the right way, to win when only winning matters that changes and clicks something in your brain. Hmm. And he's transmitted that straight away. And, I, and, and, you know, what we need 
is for that to click in more brains in the squad. Yeah, for sure. And I, that's not even a, uh, a case uh, that players don't want to win or aren't, you know, interested in winning or anything like that. But it, it's, uh, I don't know, it's an experience thing as well, isn't it? You know, to, to know how to do it. Um, it's a knack. It's yeah. a knack. Yeah, and it is. It is, and, and it's it's part of parcel of like making progress as a team is like being demanding of yourself, but being demanding of those around you, you know, in a in a positive way, if you like. Um, I, I want to ask you uh, to talk to me a little bit about William Saliba and how you think he's looked on tour and how you think he is integrated back into the fold. Mikel Arteta mm-hmm. spoke about him last week um, after the Chelsea game. He said, I'm really pleased to see the way he's playing, the way he's adapted to the team, the maturity he's shown at 21 years of age. Carry on doing it. We'll keep developing him. He has huge potential. He's already a top player and we have to make him even better. And I know that last year it was contentious for many people for us to send him out on loan. But is it reasonable to say that on his return... After a year with Marseille where he made progress as a player and as a person, got himself into the French national team, that in hindsight, that was a good decision for a 20-year-old player, for the club to make over a 20-year-old player, Um, even if they haven't always handled things as well as they might with Saliba. It feels to me like last season was a smart move because now we've got a player who is absolutely 100% ready uh, to come in and compete for a place in a team that is looking to make progress in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, Arteta was asked that on Saturday after the game, you know, do you think he's ready? And he, he almost laughed and he, he he just said, well, he looked ready to me tonight. And mm. he was absolutely right. I mean, Saliba, listen, I, he's a player I've always really liked. I went, travelled to France yeah, yeah. twice to watch him. And I did, and, I, and listeners will know, I have not always had faith that it would go this way. I really feared that he would leave the club this summer and, you know, had the Marseille owner not pulled the plug on their spending in the manner that he has, I still think there might have been a chance for that. But I'm so delighted that it appears to be heading in the direction it is. Um, he seems very comfortable in the group. He speaks uh, pretty good English, mm-hmm. which is kept pretty quiet. Um, he seems to fit in socially. He is such an impressive athlete, as he has been since he was 17, 18 years old in the flesh. Um, and I think he's played very, very well. And it's interesting, you know, I'm such a fan of Ben White. I really am. But when you look at Gabriel and Saliba next to each other, uh, Gabriel actually put up a picture of them both together on his uh, Instagram account today. They are a, a very dominant physical unit at the mm. back there and watching our performance against Chelsea you know I, I did have to wonder will we see Ben White playing right back here and there as, as outstanding as Tommy Asu was at times last season there were points in the Chelsea game where you know although Ben White was ostensibly playing right back it effectively was a three and Zinchenko was pushing on up into the midfield and mm. there is a nice balance to that trio so as I said earlier, it wouldn't shock me if we started this, the season in that shape and, and with those personnel. And that speaks to the impact Sleeve has made in pre-season. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm relieved because 
you know, he, he was so impressive at Marseille and won the individual accolades. And had we lost him this summer, you know, you just fear it might have been one of those that would come back to haunt us. As it is, it looks like he's going to get his chance here. And so far, he's he's kind of doing everything that could be asked of him. Yeah. And look, the idea of having greater depth in defence is, um, sure. you know, is very welcome to me. You know, we, we had the conversation last week, didn't we, about, you know, right back and maybe Ben White can play a bit there if and when Tommy Asu is not available and it doesn't look like he's going to be ready for the start of the season. So how do you, how do you, um, how do you deal with that? Do you Cedric or do you White, you know, and you can play Saliba and he gives you that, that presence in the center of defense. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad to see that it's, it looks like it's happening. And you know what? He looks like a, looks like a really serious dude. Saliba. Yeah. Like he's very mature. He's yeah, very mature for his age. You remember, forget how young he is, but he carries himself like he's ten years older than that. Well, he's he's gone through a lot, hasn't he? When you think about it, um, mm -hmm. and I'm not and played quite a lot of football, even even with yeah. such long spells on the sidelines, both through injury and the kind of cock up where he didn't go out on loan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could always see the footballing benefits to his loan to Marseille last season, even if I understood why people were desperate to see him. Um, but I think Arsenal made a decision very quickly last summer that this was going to be the best thing for him. Um, and if it means he comes back now and there's real competitiveness at the centre of our defence and real depth, you know, across a Premier League and hopefully a long European campaign, then, you know, game on, I'm all for it. So, Yeah, yeah. And, I, and you know... Various things flying around about contracts. I, I don't think anything is close at all on that front. I think he is going to see how things go. But playing like he is at the moment, mm. he's going to get plenty of opportunities. So I'm sure I, I'm sure that will be on the agenda, yeah. um, but maybe a bit further down the line. Okay, before we move on and just talk about the Edu um, piece that you did and, and some observations on that, is there anyone else on the tour who has stood out for you on the pitch or off the pitch? Um, yeah. Well, I, I, to state the obvious, Martin Odegaard is the captain and it's a matter of time of when they announced that. Right. Um, there were instances, for example, where I think he came on at half time and took the armband off holding, which to me is about as clear an indication you can have that, mm -hmm. you know, he is the number one guy. He spoke about it. Arteta spoke about him and the qualities he's brought to the position. And I think, I think he's a really good choice. I mean, he wore it for much of the second half of last season, but watching him against Chelsea, the energy levels that he's able to produce, the fitness, the pressing, the way in which he can help lead from the front, you know, Arsenal almost pressing in kind of a, 442 diamond at times uh, and he was kind of the tip of that mm. putting pressure on the Chelsea defensive midfield position I think um, I think he's the right guy to get it and I think it's a matter of when that's confirmed um, just thinking back really Saliba has been good um, they would be the main ones I, I, right. I'd give a sort of little shout out to Sambi because I think He's been playing in a slightly more advanced position than we're accustomed to seeing him. He's been playing in kind of that Granite Xhaka left eight role when he's been yeah. coming on and conventionally or the thinking was certainly at Arsenal that he was a, a future six, but 
he hasn't always looked ready for that. And, you know, he came on against Chelsea, scored a very good header from a, a Cedric Cross and uh, basically has looked pretty competent in that mm. position. So I wonder if we might see a, a bit more of him there. I think, you know, as he matures, I think he can get away with things. It's such a high-pressure position, especially what we ask of Thomas Partey, the, the number six, to kind of wriggle out of all those situations. And I'm not sure Sambi's quite ready for that yet. So playing a bit more advanced does make sense to me. Hmm. Yeah, and I've always said we need more crossing from Cedric, so that was that was nice to see. It was a very <laughs> it's finally good paying off, right? It was a very and good uh, yeah, other than that, you know, Eddie's looked sharp. Um, I think every time he's been involved, um, but generally it's been really positive. You know, Arsenal yeah. have had a, a good shape. They look fit. They look ahead of the other Premier League teams they faced. Um, they look well drilled. You know, and they've won every game. Yep. Um, so it's been a, a very positive preseason thus far. The training will have been pretty intense. It's the humidity that they were training in. You know, they would have really mm. felt that. But hopefully that will just mean they're in terrific shape for the start of the season. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, okay, let's let's talk Edu. And let's mm-hmm. talk the piece that you did with him, uh, which is available today on The Athletic. And it's a very good read. And I think he speaks very well and very passionately and uh, a lot of it is really really interesting um i mean was that a sit down with a number of journalists at the same time or was it yeah so we sat down basically there are there were about four of us guys who had followed the entirety of the arsenal tour and you know it had always been floated as a possibility that we might get this opportunity with Edu, and obviously we were all keen to do it. Mm. Um, and we went over to the Arsenal hotel complex, and we met in quite an informal setting. Mm-hmm. And Edu is quite an informal, relaxed guy, uh, and I think it it suits him that sort of environment. He's very used to it. I think you know. Technical directors in English football, you generally don't hear loads from them. But when Edu was the technical coordinator, I forget his official job title with the Brazilian national team, Mm. he was front and centre in the media quite a lot. In fact, it was kind of part of his job, really, to take the the heat sometimes off the national coach uh, by being that sort of spokesperson. So I think he enjoys that contact with the media and I think he he relishes it. And it was... a as I say, a very loose conversation where he was incredibly candid. I mean, the first thing he did was ask us all what our perception of Arsenal was at the moment because he's interested in what the perception of the club is like externally. Mm. Um, And so, you know, I did my best to answer that, you know, both from a sort of objective perspective and also talking about the fans. And I spoke about how I feel... In fairness, I, th- I feel like this is a club where there's been a, a sort of a, a degree of short-termism, quite substantial short-termism in a lot of decisions made over the last few years. But now it feels like there's more of a medium to long-term plan in place. Um, and I, I imagine that was music to his ears because that's essentially his responsibility. And he he then proceeded to sort of lay out uh, his version of events you know, the first thing I, I asked was, when did the plan start? 
and he spoke about it starting with the termination of Unai Emery's contract, effectively. Now, mm. I, 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 that's one area where I, I do wonder if there might be a, a fraction of revisionism, only in that it seems to me that there was a more clear kind of reset point last summer um, where yeah. Arsenal really dramatically shifted their transfer policy. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, I think that, that yeah, and I know it's difficult to, to sort of put, people on the spot and and look the the briefings if you remember back at the time when things were going really wrong for Unai Emery you know there was a a sort of back channel briefing a week or two before he was sacked to say that he had the full support of you know the executive committee who at that time were uh, Raul Sanyei was the the head of football and, and Edu was the technical director but I think um subservient is the wrong word, isn't it? But you know what I mean? He didn't maybe have the same authority that he does right now. Um, no. And so some I, of the- I get it from that perspective. Yeah. I think Raul, to be honest, Raul leaving the club is is maybe a better kind of I, more accurate start point I would for agree. when Edu's tenure um, begins. But, you know, mm. he, he spoke about the five-year plan that he set out to the board when... Arteta was appointed. We're, I think, approximately in kind of year three of that at this point in time. But yeah, it was a very wide-ranging and open conversation. He didn't uh, duck any question, to be frank. There were things that he, um, you know, was able to go into more detail on, but but in an off-record way. Sure. But, but nevertheless, I was surprised at the extent to which he was prepared to go on record with some of the things he was saying. Um, it's rare that you get a football executive speak so transparently and openly and uh, swearing quite as much as he did. <laughs> yeah, I noticed you left a few of those in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did because it was the only real way to kind of reflect yeah. the moment, you know, and sort of the emotion of what he was saying. And, and that's something that... Um, you know, I've had contact with Eddie before. I've interviewed Eddie before, and he is a he is an excellent communicator, and that is a big part of his job, right? Relationships, sure. um, and he does not shy away from that. You know, he 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 says knowing agents, knowing people in the game is part of my job. Deco is one of my best friends, you know, and there are other agents who he'd probably name in that category as well, um, <laughs> but. Yeah, there's something to be said for that. I think it was a commendable thing for him to do. And I know that the club in recent months and you know maybe years are minded to try to be more open, more transparent about their processes, simply so fans have an understanding. And then it's it's up to fans, you know, if they think that's right or wrong or good or bad. But yeah, I think if the club are upfront about what they're trying to do, then they feel they can be judged properly. And it's not it's not just Edu doing this uh, interview with a few of us. It's you know the decisions to do a documentary, the decisions to do a, a set of films about Hale End. Um, all these things feed into that idea that they're trying to expose their practices and their processes because 
I think ultimately they think there's sound logic behind them and, and that fans will probably, given that fans are inclined to kind of rally around the club anyway, naturally, if they see a logic, a process that they can get on board with, then they will. Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing to say is that, or certainly what I would say to that is, it's probably easier to do that when there is something that you can properly stand behind, if that makes sense. Like decisions that are made with a strategy and with a plan in mind. Whereas I think maybe in the last few years, some of the decision-making has been... uh, We've raised some eyebrows, it would be Mm -hmm. fair to say, over some of the decisions that have been made and even even the the stuff in the interview where he talks about you know how, how do you sell a player who's 26 and he's on a nice wage and he's comfortable in london and you can't sell them because you know they don't want to go which is you know i get it i get it but even then you go well you know what you did last summer is you gave a three-year contract to a guy who in the end you then had to just pay to go away you know mm. the, things like that which i get you know you can hold your hands up and say look we didn't do everything right we made some mistakes along the way but in general i i feel like right now when you think about the way arsenal are being managed when you think about the way that we are recruiting players um you know last summer i think was a real step forward because we could all see that there was a plan we could see everyone, apart obviously from Gary Neville, could see that there was a plan in the way that we were recruiting players. And this summer it feels similar too because you're adding uh, to the squad in a way which makes sense um, given what you did previously. So I think there's it's easier to be open. It's easier to be transparent. It's easier to communicate when you're not – when you can easily justify the things that you're doing. True, and, and timing and, is everything. Right? Yeah, you and know. that's I'm saying that as a good thing, by the way. I think that's a good thing. So, you know, um, it, I'd much prefer this to like us scratching our heads or banging our heads off the wall going, what the fuck is that about, you know? Yeah, and, and timing is everything. You know, it, it, it's a good time for Eddie to put his head above the parapet. You know, things, it's been a positive mm. preseason. People like the signings that we've made. We've shown ambition in the market even if it hasn't always come off um so you know that there, there is a kind of uh it's a good time for him to speak but i think yeah there there is this clearly a plan you know last summer arsenal never communicated what their strategy was they never said at the start of the summer and i know they considered it we are going to sign young players under the age of 23 and rejuvenate the squad. You know, there were discussions internally about, is that something Edu should come out and say, you know, at the start of the window or during the window? And ultimately it was decided, no, actions speak louder than words. We'll just do the business. Yeah. Um, and I think a similar thing has happened this summer where they've gone for a slightly different calibre of player. You know, Edu spoke about, you know, the idea of people who get on the pitch and they're killers, you know, they'll do yeah. anything to win. Um, winners, I guess, would be a, a maybe a, a more appropriate term. And I think that's kind of apparent in the signing of Zinchenko and Jesus from City. And, and now he's prepared to lay that logic out. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that they realise that they kind of have to do something before they can talk about it, because otherwise mm. it's just talk. Um 
But I, 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 yeah, I'm fascinated by Edu, to be honest, because when he came in and for the first, I don't know, 12 to 18 months of his tenure, the characterization of him was of a guy who uh, was very agent-led and, the, and mm. the Arsenal's business felt quite agent-led. Well, it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you have to say that that's really flipped round, to be honest. I mean, the, 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 the five or six players that Arsenal signed last summer were from agents that Arsenal, for the most part, have never really dealt with before. Mm. Um, okay, this summer we've probably lent on relationships a bit more, but there's still signings that are backed up by scouting, coaching, data. Uh, there's a clear process going on. Mm. And, uh, you know, when Edu dispensed with the old scouting team in the summer of 2020, um, you know, as part of the cost-cutting exercises during the pandemic, people feared, understandably, that Arsenal was would be heading very definitely in a certain direction. And actually, I think they've sort of modernised quite a lot since then and are going in a direction that most of us, I think, would agree appears better. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I think Edu is uh, a very good communicator who has built a good team around him. And I think he's basically better at the job uh, Raoul was supposed to be doing than Raoul ever was. Like, in terms of, like, having a black book, in terms of being a guy you can put in front of a player or put in front of an agent or who knows everybody in the game and is respected by everybody in the game, I think he he fulfills those criteria very well. I don't think anybody's claiming that he's, you know, Steve Rowley or Sven Mislintat or some master scout. But in terms of a guy who can manage a team, can build relationships and can get a deal done, uh, and who seems to have a good working relationship with Arteta and the board, yeah, I think, he, you know... I think he's turned a lot of perceptions around. No, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, we've had conversations on this podcast before where, you know, I've been, you know, I think those first 12 to 18 months of his time here, uh, you know, I had one perception of the work he was doing and how he was doing it. And I didn't really care for it, you know, but this yeah. is, this is certainly different. It's certainly better. Um, you know, whether we get full transparency on some of those decisions, I'm not sure we ever will. They are what they are. They were what they were. But this, you know, this is certainly a much better way to do business. I enjoyed the way he talked about talking to signings and talking to agents and talking to families. And, you know, if there's something I'm not comfortable with, you know, with regards to the motivation of the player or, or you know, other things that are going on in the deal, he'll walk away. Um that's good. And and clearly as well, the the passion he has for the club to be a success is is obvious, right? Yeah. You know That's the, the other thing that really came across. I yeah. Mean, and I and I, I said this in my piece, but we are so accustomed to, to talking about him as the technical director now that I, I do I'm, I because maybe he wasn't like, you know, one of the five or six key players in the Invincible, sometimes we forget his past with the club and the culture that he was part of. Mm. Um, 
And I sense in him a real understanding, you know, in the same way that we talk about Jesus and Zinchenko know what it takes to win things. He was part of that too, as a player. And, you know, he spoke about when he came into the club and he didn't recognise it. He thought everyone was just kind of content, happy to be at Arsenal as long as yeah. they were okay. Uh, I don't. I, I think, don't think he's wrong there. I don't think he yeah. is. I mean, isn't that what everybody? Though, how many discussions did we have about players being too comfortable or existing in comfort zones, and you know, mm-hmm. not being challenged? And and look, I know Mikel Arteta has been a driver for a lot of this. Um, you know, in terms of how he wants to manage the club, how he wants to build his team, and everything else. But there has been. Um, a ruthlessness, if you want to call it that, like, you know, we could go the other way and say it's quite easy to pay players to go away, et cetera, et cetera. But there has been a ruthlessness in in stripping away people who aren't on board, who aren't on the good ship Arteta, whatever you want to call it. And he's been part of that too, you know? And when he talked about, like, we want to have success, yes, you know, we, we know Man City are there. Yes, we know Liverpool are there and we understand that. But at the same time, you have to you have to drive you have to push mm. yourselves i like that aspect of it and i hope that continues and um you know i thought he came across very well uh, in this um yeah i, I, th- I well listen in person he certainly did and we did push him and we did you know challenge him and ask him about things like willian and louise and and mm. uh, ask him about you know the dangers of paying players off does it set a precedent I mean, the line that he said that as I was writing it up, I was sort of thinking, is he going to get killed for this? You know, in, in on social media and in the press was was when he said, you know, people say it's an expensive thing to do to pay a player off. But I, I think it's an investment because mm. you create a pathway in the squad. You get a player who, you know, is not contributing, not happy, doesn't want to be there out. You know, that's a, that's a big claim to make, yeah, and yeah. not one that I think all fans would immediately agree with. But it's clearly a case that he's had to make to the board, and the board includes the owners, Stan and Josh Kroenke, and they've ultimately accepted his view on that—that that it was better to clean the squad, yeah. as he put it, than keep people around. And if that means there's a bit of pill to swallow in terms of the payoff, then so be it. Where, where it gets really interesting, you know, because his whole thing was if a player is 26 or 27 on a good salary and not performing, it's very, it's very very difficult to move them on for a decent fee. Um, and the squad he inherited was predominantly players who fit that categorization. Mm. What his argument is, is that how many players in the squad now fit those three attributes and how many next summer will and are Arsenal moving into a place where they are actually creating value in their squad Um, because that is part of the strategy too yes it's about the team and the pitch but you also want to build a squad that has profitability built into it Mm. and that's what they've tried to do with the age profiles and the salaries and the exposure of the young players and I guess that's right. I mean, when you look at the... Obviously, there's still a few players hanging around and we'll see what happens with some of those guys this summer. As you know, my expectations aren't great. From what Edu's saying, it doesn't sound like his expectations are great either. But 
once we get beyond that, you know, if there's a player in that remaining group who somebody wants and they come and knock on the door, mm. we're going to be in a position to talk about serious money for some of these guys, you know. Yeah. And th and that's part of the job too, ensuring that we have a squad that can generate revenue and that can evolve and that will be fascinating. I mean, that's what he has to deliver. Like if he laid out this five-year plan and we're in year three, there's a way to go, yeah. But part of that plan was the idea that 22-23 would be the season when Arsenal would be competitive. Now, how we interpret competitive, you know, I guess there's some latitude on that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're three years or two and a half years into a five-year plan, you need to see some progress, don't you? And I think we saw some progress last season, but I guess it it makes the expectation and it makes the demands on the season ahead all the more important. But then they know that, you know, they're, they're well aware of that. If you're putting in place a plan like that, you have to be able to back it up. So I think that just adds to to what lies ahead this season, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think, you know, in, in a lot of these instances, Eddie was telling people things that we've already kind of... Uh, inferred you know from mm. from observing the club's actions but i do think there is a value in hearing it directly from the club from someone in a position of authority you know even in our position as reporters we can say oh we understand arsenal are doing this for this reason and this is their intention and and to a certain extent people respect that mm. but it's a different matter when you've got somebody putting the head above the parapet telling it like it is and, uh, you know, ultimately the message is sort of to three sets of people, really. It was to us and to the media. Obviously, it's to the fans as well. And they know that, you know, that's transmitting to the fans and they want them to understand the project. But there's a, another audience, which is the football world, you know, and mm. prospective players. Does everybody understand what Arsenal are trying to do? And if, if Arsenal are interested in you, what does that mean? What is the project you're signing up for? The pitch that he effectively made to this small group of journalists is, is a very similar one, I imagine, to the one he made to Gabriel Jesus and to Zinchenko and others. You know, this is what Arsenal are trying to be and where they're trying to go. And um, that's his job. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's good that he went on record about it, and I, I hope he'll do more of it in the future. Yeah, same, same. And we'll, we'll call an end to part one here, but I just think that, you know, when you are trying to get people on board, when you can speak openly, even if there are things, you know, I think there are a couple of things that, you know, you could maybe take issue with or, or maybe don't stand up to as much scrutiny as others. But nevertheless, um, you don't get too many technical directors at football clubs coming out and explaining decision-making strategies, the way they operate, what they're trying to do, where they're trying to go, what they want to achieve. You know, I've been critical in the past of the way that the club has communicated or not communicated in certain aspects when I think it probably could have been more helpful to them if they'd been a bit more open about certain things. But as I said, when there's something that you can absolutely genuinely stand behind and that you 100% believe in, then it becomes much easier to do things like this. 
So people can take it, you know, their own way. They can read the the piece on The Athletic. They can look at the interview on Sky Sports, whatever it is, and they can make their own minds up about it. But, you know, I, I, I like it. I like the fact that it's open. I like the fact that it's as transparent as it can be, really. You know, you, you can't play all your cards publicly. Um, you've got to keep some of them close to your chest as well. But, you of know, course, the, yeah. the more... The more I am convinced by the people, you know, in important positions at the club, I include Mikel Arteta, and I've always been convinced by Arteta's desire and what he wants. But if that's backed up by other people who are singing from the same hymn sheet, you know, again, actions, words, all that kind of stuff. But but if there's, um, what's the word, a coherence, to the way that the football club is being run and the way that key important decisions are being made about how we build a team, how we build a squad, how we play, who we are, what we want to be, all of that kind of stuff. It's just much easier to get behind um, the process, if you like. Definitely. And I think, realistically, I think if you're looking for football executives to come out and say, I got something completely wrong, you're probably not going to get it. You know, I think it's a bit like politics. People don't want to effectively write their own epitaphs. They will course correct or, you know, um, I don't know what's the word, slightly retro, retrofit history a little bit because I think there is a fear of saying, hey, we got that wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think uh, uh, with that aside, I think he was about as transparent as he uh could be and yeah I, I just finished by saying that the, the characterization of edu which is fun of like the guy at the barbecue or <laughs> you know doing the tour of london colney in the blue shirt like that's definitely part of who he is like he is a relaxed uh easygoing individual he avoids conflict by his own admission he tries to solve things amicably um got a lot of blue shirts he's got a lot of blue shirts but i did like that moment when he was talking about standards and being competitive where you saw i saw in him a flicker of the athlete the winner the guy who was part of the invincibles they were you know i mean he was practically banging the table <laughs> at that point and and that's where he and Mikel have common ground. You know, they're very different. Mikel is quite a serious, studious guy. Edu, very, very relaxed. But in their own way, they were both hugely demanding and competitive. Mm. And so I think having people, you know, for a long time we said at Arsenal, are there enough football people in the club? You know, mm. and I think people still make that case. But Edu and Arteta are football people. Um, and I think that's a healthy thing. And clearly, the other thing that I think is positive is they have a healthy and constructive relationship with the board and the owners, and that's so important. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. That's maybe a discussion for another day um, because, you know, I almost had this discussion on Friday um, with James Benj, but there is, I think, a discussion to be had about 
KSE and the way they've operated um, since they've taken 100% control. Um, mm. Yeah, Mikel was very emphatic wasn't yeah. he, about it the other day. Yeah, so maybe we'll have that discussion on another podcast. Um, for now, though, we'll take a little break. Um, go into part two. We've got questions uh, and lots more to get into, but we've done about an hour on this. So we need to uh, need to just take a little stop here and we'll be right back with your questions and more in part two after this. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. And, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, the new season starts next week, mm-hmm. next Friday night. Um, it's come around very, very quickly. Um, but if you do want to get involved in our fantasy football league, for the upcoming season, you've got a deadline. I think it's next Thursday or maybe it's next Friday, but next Thursday, put that in your mind and you can get involved on our uh, Patreon Fantasy Football League. Cash prizes to be won, 500 euros to the winner, Arsenal shirts and cash prizes all the way down, 300, 150 for second and third. Fourth place, of course, gets the now legendary fourth place trophy and everyone who wins a prize gets an Arsenal shirt as well. So if you want to sign up, Patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Right. Um, Do you mind if I go first? No, not at all. Okay. Here is a question from someone whose name I should have read first. It's Bimrajka Rohan from the Discord, Mm -hmm. I think. And he said, good morning, gents. Arteta said we were obviously short in some areas. This was after the the Chelsea game, and he was asked about recruitment, and he said, we're obviously short in some areas. It wasn't very obvious to me, so please help. Where do you think we're short? Yeah, it it wasn't that obvious to me either in the moment. Um, Like, numbers-wise, I don't think we are hugely short anywhere. My strong uh, instinct is that the next port of call for Arsenal will be a wide player if if, yeah. if they're going if they're going to do something else in this window and i suspect um they probably will do one at least one more deal and i think i think wide player would be the one just simply because you know i don't think you pursue a player like rafinha as intently as you do unless that's something you want to add um mm. But, you know, with the sheer amount of numbers we have in the squad, I mean, what was it, 33 players in the US, I think being short <laughs> is actually sort of the least of our problems in yeah. some respects. I, I thought that was confusing as well because, you know, you could say, yeah, we can upgrade, we can get better quality or we could get a better player in a certain position, but it's not as if we don't have numbers. 
Um, you know, we be fair in other press conferences. Um, Arteta sort of intimated the next phase of the window is a series of frank conversations with existing players about their futures at the club. You know, he he did in prior to the Chelsea game, it may have been after the Everton match or after the Orlando game, hmm. effectively said, we've got to get some of these guys out, right? Which is a fact. And I don't know if Eddie's going to have to <laughs> get his checkbook again uh, to pay some of these guys off or whatever it is, but we cannot carry this many players into the season. Yeah. So let me just uh, follow up on this one. Um, Dampo, also on the Discord, says, does Pepe's Instagram post, his recent Instagram post, indicate he's decided to stick it out for one more season? Have you seen the the Instagram post from yes. Nicolas Pepe? He's talked about, Have you seen it? Yeah. I'll just get it up here. Um, not Nicola Coughlin. She's very from Derry Girls. Very interesting. I was very surprised and intrigued by this. He said, Nicolas Pepe, on his Instagram, I worked hard during the summer, changed a lot of things. I'm focused and determined with Arsenal and my teammates. Hashtag on the road. Hashtag Premier League. Hashtag FA Cup. Hashtag Europa League. Hashtag NP19. <laughs> maybe he changed his social media agency and that's yeah what it maybe is. that's what it was it wasn't his actual uh, agent it was his <laughs> he's, he's doing more hashtags now um well actually i've got a big uh guess what i've got another big article coming out on athletic tomorrow it's the last one from the tour and it's kind of my um you know inside the arsenal tour it's basically everything i saw and noticed and observed right and one of the things i observed is that he's not an unhappy camper, really, Pepe, at the present time. Certainly no more um, disconnected or sort of in his own world than usual. And he's training hard, he's running hard, he's, you know, being used in games. Hmm. Now, I I say that in the... And I wrote that and observed that still with the expectation that he would leave, but... I did find that an intriguing post. I mean, is it as simple a case of a player seeing where Arsenal are going and thinking, actually, I wouldn't mind being part of that? Yeah, or is it a guy who, you know, a week, 10 days before the start of the season doesn't have any other options? Well, I mean, they're... Listen, the media don't get wind of everything, right? Mm. Deals come from nowhere sometimes. But how many stories, uh, credible stories, have there been of interest in Nicola Pepe this summer? None. As far as I can see, none. There was talk of Newcastle, but that is like the, you know, everyone gets linked with Newcastle because of what Newcastle are right now. And I would be very surprised if there was even the slightest hint of truth to Newcastle's interest in, in Nicolas Pepe. So, I, I don't remember anything, and and, and uh, to be frank, haven't really heard anything of any substance yeah. about a potential destination. Um, I mean, the, look, clearly there's a talented player there, but what the issue has seemed to be is an incompatibility with the kind of player that Mikel Arteta would like, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, the, I mean, the... I mean, how much does it matter if he wants to stay? I mean, I, I think yeah. Arteta's position on the player 
is kind of apparent by this stage. I mean, he I don't think he started in the Premier League after the Crystal Palace game in like October. Yeah, November. that's true. Didn't start a game. So, you know, I, I have no doubt that if there was a taker at a reasonable price, Arsenal would do that deal. Um, no, I agree. I agree. Maybe, maybe what we're seeing is that there may not be one, which I have feared might be the case. Mm. Um, and it, it sort of complicates things a little bit as well because we have Nicolas Pepe, we have Marquinhos, we have Reese Nelson, we have Bakayo Saka. Like everybody's looking for us to sign a player to take some of the burden off Bakayo Saka, right? We can't have him play every game. We can't have him play every European game. We need reliable, you know, decent cover slash depth in that position. But we don't know if we've got it with Marquinhos because he's still very young. We're very unsure that Nicolas Pepe can do it because of the aforementioned incompatibility. Reese Nelson, another player who should be in the departure lounge really so we're not short in that position in terms of numbers but you could still see how a player or a signing there would be beneficial to the team but can you make can you make a signing unless you found somewhere for Pepe unless Reese Nelson has been sold unless you've got a loan sorted for Marquinhos you know those are factors in what happens yes and you know it's not long ago that we remember the situation where the likes of Socrates and Ozil were mm. left out of the 25-man squad. And I think that became quite an unhealthy situation uh, at the training mm. ground. I think Arsenal will be very keen to avoid that again. Um, you know, I, I have no doubt they'd love to replace Pepe with, with a player who more fits Arteta's ideal it's just a question of how feasible that is. I guess if we take Pepe at his word uh, that he is focused and energised about playing for Arsenal, then at least if a move doesn't happen, you know, we've got a player who's motivated to play and be part of things. But does does that matter if a manager doesn't have sufficient Not faith hugely. in him? I mean, of course, with the Europa League games there'll be minutes, right? Even yeah, yeah. for somebody like that. But how much of a contribution we can expect, I don't know. I mean, th this does feel like the right time, I think, for kind of parting of the ways between Pepe and Arsenal. Um, it's just that mm. we need a third party to, to make that happen. Um, and as uh, yet. As yet. They don't seem obvious. No, but uh, yeah, yeah. An interesting sort of statement from mm. Pepe. Um, especially when you consider he's got a new agent this summer and you, know, you wonder what conversations have been going on there. I, I, I'd be very surprised if Arsenal have turned around to Pepe and said, do you know what? You're, you are part of our plan. You're a big part of our plans. I'd be very surprised by that. Same. So I think it might just be the player trying to make the best of a, a tricky situation. But there's time. Yeah, there's, there's still time. Some time. I, I think, you know, I've said this to you before, I think a lot of stuff will happen towards the end of the window. Um, Especially getting these guys out, I mm -hmm. imagine. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you mentioned somebody there, and Joe, who's at Red and White Eleven, says, "What do you think Marquinhos's role will be next season? He seems to have immersed himself in the first team squad, and I felt he upstaged Pepe when they both came on versus Chelsea. I mean, I doubt you saw much of his no. cameo. I literally haven't seen a single." kick of the ball from this guy. Um, a few minutes in Germany and a few yeah. minutes against Chelsea. Energetic and sprint. I mean, I saw some... Edu also did an interview with Brazilian media and unsurprisingly was asked about Marquinhos, among other players. And he said, you know, we'll look after Marquinhos. Yeah, it seemed uh, to be like, listen, give him some time, you know, yeah. hold your fire on this guy. Uh, you know, don't expect him to be in there straight away. So I'd be curious to see what they're going to do with him. I imagine that they'll keep him for, you know, again, minutes in the Europa League might be a way of of assessing him properly at this level, you know, depending on how ready they think he is from training, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe a second half of the season loan somewhere, let him get settled in. It'd be weird to bring a guy over in the summer and then just loan him out straight away. Um, maybe let him settle in. I think if you do give a loan to a player like that, an English club would probably be the smartest, wouldn't it? To get him fully up to speed. I guess so. I guess so. Especially now there's not, um, especially a huge benefit, I guess, to him being EU qualified. I don't know. I'd have to look into the legalities of that, but with us not being part of the EU anymore. Um, he is EU qualified, is he? Well, no, but what I mean is like, uh, you know, the old Carlos Vela trick of sending him to Spain for three years and get him a Spanish passport. Um, mm. Now that Britain aren't in the EU, is oh, a Spanish yeah. passport any much any better than a Brazilian one? I, gen no. I genuinely don't know. He's going to have to wait in line at the airport like everyone yeah, else. Whatever happens, um, I, I think. Yeah, I think he will go out on loan. But like you, I wonder if it might be January rather than autumn. It, it would be good for him to stay in England and you know, get ingrained in the culture of the club, learn a bit mm. of the language. Um, that seems like it would be a helpful experience for him. Mm. Stuart, who's at Stuart underscore N1, said, are you comfortable with our goalkeeping options, assuming Leno goes to Fulham? And there's talk that that might be uh, back on some compromise on the fee. Um he said, I'm yet to be convinced that Leno shouldn't still be number one. It feels like Fulham are getting a real bargain. Listen, I think he's a really, I think he's a really good goalkeeper. Um, uh, I mean, Ramsdale played very well against Chelsea, and uh, the the some of the pings were back. He found Martinelli with. Oh yeah, saw that. Saw one or two of those actually. Two of yeah. those long balls, and you know he's got that in his locker in a way that Leno hasn't. But I think Leno's got other strengths. You know, just an outstanding shot stopper. Mm. Um, I don't think it was ever off, really, Fulham. I think it's it's a question of can the gap be bridged, and Fulham came in quite low, and were surprised at you know what Arsenal were demanding. And my suspicion is a compromise will be reached, um, and that that's where he'll go. I, I just think it's a move that suits him. Premier League, London, he's sort of quite settled here. Um, 
I imagine the salary would be pretty decent as well. Mm. So I, I still think that will happen. Am I happy with our goalkeeping options? Comfortable. Are you comfortable? comfortable. I think so, yeah. I think I've got a, a better opinion of Matt Turner than some. I think, unfortunately, I think that first goal that Matt Turner conceded against Nuremberg has uh, has created some disquiet uh, about his capabilities. But people I trust assure me that he is a, a very capable goalkeeper in his own right. I'm not sure he's at the, the calibre of somebody like Eleno and without him being tested in sort of European football, it's difficult to know for sure. But I think... I think he'll be. Uh, I think he'll make a, a, a decent contribution, and then beyond that, I mean, the third choice goalkeeper, I don't think played at all last season. No. I don't think Arthur Conquo played a minute outside of preseason, um, and Arsenal have got a few young goalies. You know, I don't think Alex Runnison will be here. I'm sure he's on the list of players that's going to go before the transfer deadline. You would imagine. Um, <laughs> I was, Quite surprised. Yeah, he was one of the ones that you sort of slightly surprised made the trip to America. Um, so yeah, I am. I am comfortable. I mean, ultimately, the club have really invested in Aaron Ramsdale in in every sense. You know, financially, um, he's part of the kind of build up play from the back. Yeah, I think he is going to be the number one, and I think Turner uh, is probably, from what I hear you know, good enough to be the number two. He is the man in possession of the number one shirt for America. Um, so, you know, this is an international goalkeeper. The fact that we've not seen much of him in the UK, uh, I, I still think he's got plenty of ability. What, what do you think? Um, look, I have to see Matt Turner play properly, you know. Um... Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you that it's a stronger set. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, I think Ramsdale and Leno, I don't think there are many teams in the Premier League who would have two goalkeepers. No, exactly. But then I, but then there are reasons for that. It's not sustainable. Well, that too. That too. I mean, I don't think it's stronger, but I've yet to see Matt Turner in, in competitive action. And until such time as I do, I'm not going to make any uh, definitive decision about him. Um so look, let's let's wait and see. I think Ramsdale is the number one with an international goalkeeper as the number two isn't bad at all. Um, you know, I think if you look at some of the goalkeepers um, at other clubs uh, and the backups that they have, you know, like who's Man City's backup goalkeeper? Stefan. Well, actually, it's a bloke they just signed from Germany. Um... Yeah, but they had like. The, they had Stefan. They had Stefan. He's gone out on loan. Yeah. And now they've signed a bloke on a free yeah, but transfer. Nobody, nobody really cares. goalkeeper, Stefan Ortega. Right. Who is a 29-year-old who's just left relegated Bundesliga side, Armenia Bielefeld. Now, listen, I have heard that he's a very good keeper. But, again, the pedigree is not necessarily what you would expect of a big club. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, how much stock do you place in your number two goalkeeper? Obviously, it's an issue if your number one gets an injury, but, mm -hmm. you know, how many games a season does Allison play? How many games a season yeah. does Edison play? How many games Firstly, a season Fraser does, Forster you know, didn't know this summer on a free transfer. Yeah. 
you know, um, but how many second choice goalkeepers have there been at Spurs under um, old Flappy Loris? You know, lots of them have come and gone, and you know nobody really cares that much. So the good thing is, we will get a look at Turner. You would imagine, right? Because mm. with the World Cup on the horizon, I, I'd be very surprised if he's not been assured he'll get those Europa League group stage games and League Cup. But you made a really good point a couple of weeks ago where you said Aaron Ramsdale has never played in European competition. Yeah. And that is something that I think any goalkeeper, any player will want to do. So it's it's finding that balance, isn't it, between, you know, having the... Like, I, I've, got, I've really got no issue if Matt Turner plays in the um, the group stage of the Europa League. I don't think that's a problem. I think when you start getting into the knockout rounds and you have to take it seriously, the the old cupkeeper thing doesn't do it for me mm-hmm. when the games get important. I don't really like it. I think if you've got one outstanding goalkeeper, one very obvious number one, you play that player in the best in the games where it's really important. So Yeah. And to be fair to Arteta, I think in the League Cup he did do that. I think he reverted to Ramsdale. He did when yeah, we got yeah. to the semi-finals, you know. So I imagine something much similar might happen in the Europa League. But let's see. Let's see how well or not Matt Turner does. Um, I, it's interesting, you know. When we were in America, Matt Turner did a load of media, as you can imagine, right? Mm. Because he's an American international player, and the club kind of pushing that and. And also, he's a very amenable guy and happy to do it. And, you know, there were a lot of questions to him about how much playing time have you been promised? Because your international play is effectively, place is effectively at stake. And he said, you know, I've been brought into challenge. But I think he knows, you know, he knows mm. the pecking order that he's arriving into. Um, so I'm curious to see how that particular battle plays out is Turner and Ramsdale as good a combination as Leno and Ramsdale possibly not but to come back to what I said before I'm not sure who has got two goalkeepers of that caliber in the squad all right is it my I think it's your question is it because that was about the goalkeepers it's mine um I thought this was quite interesting. So Thomas, who's at Sackergaard on Twitter, says, what do you make of the division between fans on topics such as Pepe, Saliba versus White, Arteta and Edu, etc., that still seem to be so heavily debated on Twitter, even though the team is clearly working well together and improving? I mean, it's human nature, isn't it? It's just, always, and isn't that just football as well? Yeah. Like, game of opinion, somebody once said. Did they? I never heard that before. <laughs> um, no, I, I coined that, actually. That's one of mine. <laughs> Every time someone uses it, I get 10p. Wow. You're yeah. a rich man. You're a rich man these days. No, it's still flying economy. Can you believe it? Yeah, look, you know what? I don't necessarily get the... You know the way someone will nail their... Like, I get, if you prefer William Saliba to Ben White, fine or if you prefer ben white to william saliba fine but you don't have to get a tattoo of william saliba's face on your torso exactly you know know, it doesn't mean you can say i prefer william saliba to ben white it doesn't you don't have to then 
launch a campaign of like to hate Ben White. Yeah, you'd have to hate Ben White. You don't have to fucking you know send him loads of pizzas every night of the week after finding out his address because you're a mad Twitter stalker. That kind of thing. That I don't really understand. Like personal preferences, I get it absolutely. But you know, at the end of the day, we need all of these players to be as good as possible for us. And look, there are players in our not too distant past who. You know, I, I'm not going to say I would stand up and go to bat for them in any way. But I think when we've got a squad that is probably as exciting and likable as we've had in quite some time, you know, the the constant need for division, I don't really, I don't really get it. I don't know where people have got the energy for it, to be honest. You know, it just... I, I think it's, I think it's partly the nature of, Twitter, right? Yeah, that I think Twitter, kind of yeah. A form, uh, forum for debate. And I think it's partly football. You know, it's been happening since time. What's the, what's the end of that expression? Time immemorial? Time immemorial, yeah. Yeah. It's been happening forever, is what I meant to say. And uh, football fans debate players, debate managers, debate positions. And I, I don't think we should... Uh, I don't think we should stress too much about healthy debate. It's when it becomes kind of fanatical deification of one and demonization of the other. Yeah, yeah. Like Ben Shite versus William Saliba arsehole. Sure, You know, all that kind of stuff is just like, oh, come on, guys. It's the guys with like, uh, you know, Twitter avatars, which are a picture of Mikel Arteta with like, satanic horns on they're they're the ones that worry me you know (laughs) yeah look uh, as you said it's a game of opinions i'll fire over that 10p now in just a moment (laughs) i'll send it i'll send it by revolute um you know yeah i mean i think uh the the there are aspects of football discourse on twitter which are just not healthy at all um so, yeah, I, I I can kind of filter most of that out, thankfully. Can I ask you a question? Here's one from yeah. Ringo Casey on the Discord. And he said, who's better, Ben Scheidt or Williams? No, I'm joking. <laughs> he said, last season we had Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Eddie as our strikers. When Aubameyang was out, we were extremely light. This season we have Jesus and Enketia, and there's no talk of being light. People talk of Mar- Martinelli as backup, but there hasn't been much evidence to support him playing up front, especially when we were light and in need of a striker. Uh, he said, aren't we still pretty light if Balagoon is heading off on loan, as has been suggested? Mm. It's interesting on that. I mean, I, I guess it depends how much you believe in the idea of the new improved Eddie in part, right? Like... Our perception of Eddie 12 months ago and our general perception of Eddie now, I think is slightly improved um, based on admittedly a small sample. Um, I mean, Jesus, I think, is a better forward than anybody that we had last season. But yeah, if we lose him, then that is a significant burden on Eddie. Mm. And we we don't, we can't be sure how he can handle it. I don't get any sense that there's going to be a third centre forward added. Um, I'd be surprised. I think it's more likely that, that Balogun could be kept around 
Um, I think it's sort of 50-50 whether he goes or not, to be honest, at the point at this point in time. I mean, there was it was sort of 50-50 whether or not he came on the tour because there been some possible talks about loan, nothing materialised. They decided to bring him, but then he, I don't know if he even got on the pitch. If he did, it was very brief. Right. I, in my, to my mind, Martinelli is the third option there. But then you come back to that question of, well, then you probably need another wide player because of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we haven't seen Martinelli there for a very long time. No, it's been it's been a while. I mean, it is. A, it does feel uh, like a lot of our striker eggs are in the Gabriel Jesus basket. They really are, yeah. I mean, they they are banking on him playing, you know, a lot of Premier League minutes, aren't they? Mm. Do you think we're light there? Or do you think we're short there? Short maybe being the appropriate term. Um, I mean, I do think, yes, probably. But I don't quite know what, you do because I don't see us buying another striker. What is the what is the pitch you make to that striker? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you can come in and be our We've just signed Gabriel Jesus for forty five million and we've given Eddie and Ketia a long term contract. You could be plan B yeah. at some point, you know Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah, you know what I mean? You could be a an important part of our bench. Because Eddie's expecting to play, you'd think, those Europa games, those cup games. Mm-hmm. I know he can play off the wide positions if needed, or Jesus can play off the wide positions if needed, but uh, I think they're both you know, seen primarily as number nines. Mm. I mean, I have seen some people suggest, what about a wide player who could also play through the middle? But who's that? Gabriel Jesus? <laughs> I mean, Has he got a brother? Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, but do you know what I mean? Like, if we if we could sign, you know, Cody Gakpo is I, I don't know the player hugely well, but he's someone Arsenal have followed, and there's been some suggestion he could play wide, but has the potential to play through the middle if required in a sort of mm. you know converted fashion. Maybe there's a player out there who gives you an option in both positions. Listen, versatility has been a hallmark of our signings this summer. Um, that is true. So maybe there is another versatile forward out there who could fit that bill. That might provide a bit more reassurance. Maybe. I mean, the other thing maybe is you just keep Balagoon until January, see where you are. But yeah, then you have true. to. You also have to think about his career development as well. Like, is he going to play much? If if Eddie is going to start the Europa League games and maybe start the EFL games, because the other thing to consider is that Mikel Arteta has been pretty vocal about the prospect of of Eddie and Gabriel being on the pitch at the same time. Yeah, um, that's true. He has actually. In so which you, case, yeah, you don't have a lot of. There isn't a lot of depth in the centre forward position. No, I mean this isn't a problem Rafinha would have solved, you know. So may, maybe, maybe it is Martinelli. Maybe it is Smith Rowe. It's, it's a shame Smith Rowe's been carrying this knock because I am. Yeah. I am curious to see 
what Arteta envisions for him this season. You know? Yeah. I feel like, obviously there's a lot of football to go around, but um, I'm curious to see in what position he gets most of those minutes. I mean, you've got Fabio Vieira as well coming back, who's looking at the number 10, you know, number eight positions. I mean, I think he's, you know, left-sided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think that's kind of where he is best at the moment. But then if people want to talk about the mythical left eight and his ability to play in there, it's certainly possible, but maybe not quite yet. I just have the sense that in the Premier League, at least, Martinelli just has the edge over Smith-Rowe in in Arteta's mind. He's available. And, and yeah, yeah, a big part of that is fitness, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't think it's just that. There's something else Martinelli brings that I think... Uh, I mean, it's a very tonight. dynamic front three, isn't it? Martinelli, Jesus and Saka on the right. Yeah. I yeah, mean... Yeah. And the pressing, he's a big part of the pressing as well. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Um... Yeah. By the way, quick one uh, yeah. from Kevin Kevin Deenan, who said, non-soccer question, how do you and James prepare for each podcast? I've been listening to you guys for a while, and it's always so smooth with topics <laughs> and ideas. Do you want to tell them the truth? Do you want to tell them? I mean, do we give them a, a look under the curtain? This is like the end of uh, The Wizard of Oz. You we know? should invite a few listeners to our resort hotel and have a casual <laughs> conversation with them. And they will report it as they will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? What? How do we prepare for each podcast? I mean, we that's arrange a what time it's word. going to be, and then we start talking. We plug in the microphone, <laughs> <laughs> and that is that is almost that is literally it. That is it. We do look at obviously questions and things like that. Um, well, I do. Um, yeah, Andrew looks. <laughs> Andrew looks at the questions. I've got a list of questions here. You know, browser tabs open, text, uh, text document with some of the questions. You can't from find the them when we need them, but you do look at them. Yes, a hundred percent. No, there's not. It's not. There's not a. I, I fear that we may. I feel like you know Oz behind the curtain now, but yeah, there's not a vast amount of preparation that goes into it. Yes, the preparation is. Soaking up all the Arsenal vibes, right? That we do day in, day out. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. We're living it, guys. Like talking sponges, in a way. Let's have one more before we go. Very quick one from Sonogo Forever on the Discord, who says, what was James's favorite thing that you ate in the USA? What was the best food you had there? Ooh, good question. I went to a place on the last day. Uh, what was it called? I'm just looking. It's It was called Gringos Locos. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am a, a, uh, I am a gringo loco. There's no doubt about that. That is true. And uh, downtown Orlando, it had been previously voted Orlando's best taco. And I ate a variety of Mexican delights that were all delicious. Um, that was the best thing I ate, to be honest. I'm trying to think. Oh, also, the food at the Baltimore Ravens Stadium, which was like uh, unlike anything I've seen before in the press box. It was insane. It was like... What was it? It was like anything you could dream of, like hot dogs, load your own nachos. There was cupboards full of, like, popcorn. 
It was pure Americana distilled into food. It was remarkable. Wow. Um, and the English journalists, naming no names, ate their way through it all. Um, yes. Yeah. Well. It, was, it, was, it was incredible. <laughs> they don't know how lucky they are, those NFL journalists. Yeah, yeah. I remember there was one of the stadiums in 2019, there was some pretty incredible food. But it was like... I don't know, like twelve-hour cooked brisket and stuff like that, just in oh, the press box. They, they had this suit. They had, like, if you can name it, they had it. And I made a big mistake because I thought when I went to the Orlando City Stadium, it would have a similar sort of spread. So I didn't eat anything all day. Oh, you fool! And it's a much. It's not one of these super stadiums, and it was some very dry pizza, which you know I had to sort of like chew with water in my mouth to get down. <laughs> But the Baltimore Stadium, oh, mamma mia. Okay, well, I there. I was in there like a gringo loco, shoveling it down. <laughs> so inspiration for any anyone listening, any young, intrepid, wannabe sports reporter in Baltimore or Maryland yeah, listen, or anywhere like that. You want to do the NFL. Yeah, Don't want- report on the MLS. The food's not up to it. All right. Fair enough. Anyway, we better leave it there. I did like this one as well, actually. Um, this is from, where did I see it? It comes from Mitch, who's at the AFC Franco. And he said, instead of Gunnar Blog saying bye-bye at the end of an episode, can he just tell us all to fuck off? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you would do that. Yeah, but why you know, would I do that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, uh, I, I just thought that was quite funny. Yeah. So look. Okay, can I try and say fuck off in like a nice way? Yeah, do it. Is that possible? I think it probably is. I I think if anyone is capable of doing that, it is you. Um, So look, welcome back. Uh, Thank you guys for listening as always. Thank you for being here. Um, We'll be doing stuff during the week. We'll have um, all the usual bits and pieces coming up on Friday on the Arscast as well. For now, though, we will leave it there and we will catch you on the next one. Fuck off. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 